For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The wide receiver market is only surpassed by the announcing market in terms of exploding sectors. A full-on arms race is broken out with networks willing to pay whatever it costs to land high-profile voices to augment their NFL coverage. Tony Romo nuked the existing ecosystem and is responsible for tens, if not hundreds of millions worth of new contracts for people not named Tony Romo. During an active offseason, Fox Sports has been noticeably muted as its number one booth of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman fled for Monday pastures at ESPN after nearly a quarter century of Sunday afternoons. Immense nerds who are interested in this type of stuff had genuine concerns about the path forward for Fox, or dutifully offered concern trolling to fill conversation. But seismic news at an earnings call, delivered perhaps poetically by Lachlan Murdoch, considering the talent's politics, changed all that. Tom Brady will become the lead analyst for Fox once he retires from football. Like, actually retires. Not the fake retirement he just did, and honestly, may do again, leaving the network in limbo. Conspiracy theorists could argue Brady has already left his future television partner in the lurch over the past few months, depending on the timeline of events following Buck and Aikman leaving. This is, without a doubt, an enormous coup. One that took place under the cover of darkness as even the most dogged of sports media reporters were unable to shore it up before a surprise announcement on a Tuesday morning. Brady is one of the most famous athletes in the history of sports. A carefully crafted image, replete with a whole team of social media managers, has made him the darling of the over-40 sect who love nothing more than to gorge themselves on vanilla and dad jokes. It makes NBC's pursuit of Drew Brees, who has proven to be very much a work in progress, look like a major miss. He's bigger than Peyton Manning, the previous record holder in the extremely thirsty for this guy's standings. Before Fox bikes the football, though, they should know that this process is destined for multiple lengthy reviews. Brady has already shown a Ross Perot-like penchant for changing his mind. Even those who have nuked their long-term memories to oblivion can recall the whole messy bit a few months ago when he hung up his cleats, then went out to the garage to retrieve them, along with his Tampa Bay Buccaneers regalia. Then there's the possibility that Brady won't retire for a long time. Pay no mind to the fact that he'll be 45 years old the next time he plays a competitive football game. If we're to take him at his word, and honestly, at this point, that word should come with a dousing of salt, the seven-time Super Bowl winner would love to play until he is 50. It would still be exciting for Fox to introduce Brady's first booth appearance in 2027. It's also a tremendously long time to wait. Want to feel old? Kenny Pickett will be 29 by then. While other networks have been spending money on announcing talent like they're in a Brewster's Million sequel, Fox has been holding steady. But the Brady deal will come with an astronomical price tag. Well, my colleague Liam McCune envisions a comparatively network-friendly deal 
My first guess is that Brady will require, at minimum, $20 million per year to grace televisions. Anyone confident enough to put a cap on the high end is braver than myself without any additional information. One should consider what Brady would presumably be leaving on the table. His Man in the Arena series at ESPN will either cease to exist or Fox will have to pay him for that content as well. The specter of Manning holding out for years until he could use his leverage and production company to create the Manning cast looms over this situation. Brady is both a committed and savvy business person who understands his value. Terms of the Fox agreement won't be coming across the transom for some time, and the existence or non-existence of ancillary programming with the quarterback at the center of the frame will dictate that conversation. Either he'll be creating it for a new hub, or he'll presumably get paid out for ceasing operations. All of these negotiations will have to be shored up by the time Brady picks up a microphone, but they won't end there. When you survey his track record, it's prudent to expect that there will be some wavering and wandering eyes. The big question will be, from day one to day whatever, focused on how long Brady wants to be an announcer. Few people have ever had more available options. Who is to say that he won't get an itch to become an owner after a few years of television? Broadcasting is a funny thing. The best laid plans on paper don't always work in practice. Brady is quick enough, human enough, and drips gravitas. More likely than not, he will be good at this. And if he's not, there's definitely an element of his personality that suggests he'll stop at nothing to make himself elite. He also could, and Fox execs, he also could, and Fox execs should shudder at this thought, simply not like it. Make no mistake, this is monumental for Fox. There should be backslapping and congratulatory handshakes all around Burbank. We could look back and identify today as one of the most significant announcements of the sports broadcasting century. Football fans and neutral observers should root for that because it would be undoubtedly cool for Brady to transition into a second act and continue to be a part of NFL Sundays. It is not, however, time for Fox to spike the football. In the parlance of the game, this feels more like something that's at midfield than in the red zone. And even when it reaches the red zone, there's legitimate and well-founded belief things could get bogged down. Risk of near or long-term turnovers still exists. It'd be crazy not to assume this risk, so the network did. It would also be crazy to pretend it doesn't exist. The Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. As promised, we are back with week two roundup of the International Baseball League of West Michigan. I am here with Jeremy Stokes as well. Jeremy, you got in the game on Sunday. Tell me about your first action with the Cubs. Uh, you know, it, when you come into a game, I think it was 27 to one at the time that I came in. So uh, we wouldn't call those high pressure at bats, right? But good, you know, first kind of like live in-game pitching is always, you can take as much stuff in the cage as you want, but until you're seeing it uh, during a game, there's always a different feel in your feet, you know? A little different feel in your hands. It's like, all right, this is totally different. But it was fun, you know. One for three, I'll take it. Take that uh, on base percentage uh, when the strike zone has grown by two feet uh, in any direction. <laughs> I was joking with Raj after the game. I'm like, come on, man, only get two, three at bats a game here. Like, you can't take away. He called that my second at bat. He called, or I guess it was a third at bat. He called when it was quite literally a foot and a half outside and he just kind of gave me this i'm i'm sorry man (laughs) all right i get it but it was great fun Uh, i think we saw who our offense is 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, in week one, struggling to score runs, scoreless through seven. I have to point out anytime you enter a game when it's 27 to one and still get three at bats, that should tell you exactly how lopsided things got. Uh, yeah. It was quite out of hand quite early and that's okay because the Royals are an expansion team. And I have to say that games like this, you know, it's different for a starting pitcher like myself. When you go out to the mound, you don't take anything for granted, even if you know that you should win the game because you have no idea how things are going to go. Got out of that first inning smoothly, second inning as well, and third inning. By that time, we had a huge lead. And after that, I was able to rest on the bench for the rest of the afternoon. But I have to say that the league, as we talked about last week, is getting more competitive top to bottom. So hopefully this isn't a problem that's going to persist. We do have some breaking news here that I will share. I don't know if everybody knows this, but in the second half of the year, after you play every single team, the league is being broken up into two divisions, first and third and fifth place and on down. Every odd number is going to go in one division and even numbers go in another. What that should do is kind of make it more equitable down the stretch and hopefully provide more playoff relevant games for the top half of the league, but also give the bottom half of the league opportunity to win. And I think that's a smart implementation that we're doing this year. And I think it actually makes going through that first cycle where you know you're only going to get one game guaranteed against the team that amps up the importance of each and every one of those. So, well, we had, we spent so much time last week talking about how we thought it was going to be a deep and competitive league. That's true when you get the moments where things get out of hand like this, I still like the league because everybody has the right attitude. Um, even the teams that are getting mollywhopped, they're usually down to play more baseball and the teams that win kind of adjust their expectations about what's going on and just enjoying three hours out in the sun on a mother's day is not a bad thing. Even if it's not the heart racing competitive game that you might be expecting, or you really want week in and week out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had heard that, and uh, I think it's a great thing. I, one of the things I like about it is it's not the 50-50 split where here's the top half and here's the bottom half. So there's still going to be some – I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you're a new team and you're coming in and you want to learn a little bit about what the level of play actually is, you got to play good teams. And you got to see, okay, maybe we need to go out and get some more pitching before next year or – uh, oh, right. I do have to work out in the offseason to be in good enough shape to compete in this league kind of thing. You know, if you think it's a little league for big kids, which, you know, it kind of is. All those guys who are playing at the higher levels, all those guys are working out in the winter. You know, there's very few guys who can come in and just compete. You know, baseball's hard. Hitting a baseball's hard. <laughs> you got to practice it a little bit. So, you know, if they, if they came in thinking that it was going to be easy to come in and just be competitive, then you learn kind of where you need to be. I certainly had that feeling, you know, the first time that I was in the league, just going like, oh, if I want to be good, I have to work out a lot. <laughs> I have to practice a lot because there are guys who are working out a lot, practicing a lot. I think that's a good thing. And I kind of continue that. I know you and I have kind of, I think we both kind of have that, like, this is going to be awesome when there's 20 teams and you can actually have two legitimate divisions where you have an upper division and a lower division. So all of the games can be competitive, but you know, 12 is awesome. 
the offense, as you alluded to, broke out in a big way and as down as we were after week one, because that was kind of like a blip on the radar. We It was reminiscent of the championship series last year where the bats didn't come alive and there were too many strikeouts. Obviously, the quality of pitching took a big step back that we were facing, but I was enthused at how often we put the ball in play and with such hard contact, there was some bad defense, but we earned 20 runs easily just on legitimate yeah. hits. And that starts with a hot take I have for you. Something that I was discussing with a few people on other teams is that's Edgar Carrillo is the best hitter in the league. And he was gone last week. Edgar is our third baseman. He hits cleanup. And he might not have the power that some people do, but I don't think that there's anybody who can hit line drives with consistency like this guy he is a walking double and having him in the lineup is just such a blessing for us and it's kind of crazy the first game of the year he stepped up and I think he hit the ball about 375 feet to left center signaling that he was back like four at bats in a row <laughs> yeah he must have he did, did it every at bat yeah uh yeah, I don't know how hot a take that is, man. It's like he's one of the reasons I love coming to your guys' games last year is he just – the guy can flat out hit. And you, you hear a lot – and we've talked about this a bunch of times. Like you hear about guys go, oh, man, this – when you face bad pitching or like, you know, at least very slow pitching, you hear guys go, oh, man, it's, it's like below hitting speed. They're like, well, Edgar doesn't have a below hitting speed. The guys throwing 52-mile-an-hour curveballs, they're banging off the wall. Guys throwing 90-mile-an-hour fastballs, he's banging them off the wall. Yeah, his swing is so quick and so clean, and his balance – the thing, I don't think I've ever seen him fall across the plate after a swing ever. I don't know. I've probably seen the guy take 75 at-bats. I don't think I've ever seen him fall across the plate. Another highlight was Anthony Diaz, who has shed about <laughs> 60 pounds. And let me tell you, it has paid immediate dividends. I think he's five for seven on the year. He continued to hit, including an opposite field triple with an error or inside the park. If you want to be generous, he smokes it to right field. It goes to the fence. And last year, I'm not sure he's even getting to third base. I think he's pulling up at second, having enough running for the day, calling it quits right there. I looked up and the man was rounding second, but my eyes were looking about 15 feet off first base because that's where he would have been. And I think the most shocking thing for me is it didn't seem like a slow trip around the bases. It seemed no. like there were a replacement player, a replacement runner motoring around, getting a little tired because 365 feet is a long way to sprint once you hit 30. But I was blown away at how athletic he has come into the season and it's awesome to see that it's paid immediate dividends with him at the plate. And I got to be honest, that's a bat that has been there for a long time for us that last year maybe struggled a little bit. I know that he got a big hit in the playoffs, but if he's hitting as like option 12 or 13, that's where it gets really scary. And I don't see anything to suggest that it's not going to continue because he just looks so much more comfortable, pliable, yeah flexible up there, all that. And he's approaching each at bat yeah. with confidence. And I'll tell you, it's yeah, the, really the approach cool. is really improved. I, you know, with this few at bats into the season, he's seen a lot to hit, but he's hitting it. I think last year you saw him chase a bit more, at least, at least I saw him chase a bit more. He wasn't chasing anything. He didn't chase anything. He's waiting for the ball to get up and, 
pounded. And also, and anytime a guy is comfortably going to the opposite field, you got to feel like he's swinging the bat well. If they're driving the ball to the opposite field, he's feeling good. Yeah, stay hot. <laughs> stay hot, Diaz, huh? I mean, just uh, – and I, I got to say, my favorite part of that uh, play is that the entire bench and the third base coach threw up the stop sign and he ran right through it. <laughs> and he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. I feel great right now. We're going for it. And it wasn't close. It wasn't close. He went in standing up. So there you go. I, kudos to the guy. He was like Miguel Cabrera running through a stop sign. The only difference being yeah, this exactly. time it worked and didn't send me into a fit of rage. The yeah, other, and, you know, if we hadn't been up 28 runs at the time, it might not have been an advisable go. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you get so few chances to get a, uh, you know, a borderline inside the Parker. Uh, he's oh, qualified for, for the home run derby now if we have one. I mean, inside the Parker's count. I, right, yeah. I had one, uh, I did not participate, but I was legally eligible. I didn't want to go out one year and embarrass myself by hitting 180 foot singles to left field while the big boppers were doing it out at Sullivan. Right, exactly. The other big development for us too, was flicky getting another chance to go out on the mound after a yeah. disastrous outing week one against his former team, the A's. He looked awesome. He pitched one inning. I think he struck out the side and I, he may be struck threw, out the side on like 12 pitches. He maybe threw like three balls two potentially, and everything was right where it needed to be. He looked like a totally different person. I think if we're stepping back from what we can take away from this game, number one, we're still going to hit the ball. Number two, if that's our number two option on the mound or potentially number one in the playoffs, I, I will be perfectly honest with my opinion that when we get there, it might be him starting a game, uh, an an elimination game. And to have that option, if he's going to take the hill first, but secondarily, maybe being the relief coming in and throwing much harder than I did. I think between the combination of myself and him, even before we get to our third option, that gives us the top two arms team wise in the league. And I think the story of the year we have so much flexibility in the lineup and on the diamond about who plays what position. I mean, our lineup can go 15 deep at sometimes, but on the mound, being able to have those options as well. And if Javi, the manager who knows all, uh, you know, shout out Javi, I want more playing time. Jeremy wants more playing time. Uh, it really provides the option to figure out a way to get 27 outs, which I have to say in this league is always a tall task. Sure. Absolutely. Uh I was in right, you know, being an outfielder against a team that hasn't really put much into the outfield. Easy to fall asleep, right? You just kind of kind of hang out. You know it's going to be a ground ball to the infield or pop to the infield or whatever. I was right in there for that inning. I mean, because he's just – it's really interesting. You know, I, I didn't talk to him after the outing. I was into a bunch of other stuff. But it would be interesting to see – you know, what his mindset change was. I think when you're pitching against your old team, you get a little tight, maybe uh, also what he, it'd been like two years since he'd really, you know, thrown competitive innings. It's kind of tough to come in against the team that you left. Who knows what sort of, you know, other stuff's going on around that. Uh, but it's just so sharp and really confident. And the, you know, that for a guy, when you got a guy who can throw hard, if he can also throw hard with confidence and throw strikes in this league, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's that, that make a huge difference. It actually, it kind of felt like, uh, you know, kid who threw against us week one. It was just like, you know, 
he'd throw a pitch. He knew it was a strike before it was called. And give me the ball. Let's go. Gotta, you gotta love that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of say like, all right, well, we're, we we found out who we were. We haven't played a good game against a competitive team. You got to kind of see uh, what, what that looks like. Um, I looked at the schedule right before we went on here and now I'm drawing a complete blank on who we got next week. Uh, we have the power, I believe, next. and then Oh, that's right. Cardinals. And then the following so, week is like Cardinals, right? Yep, and I won't be here for that. So that'll be, uh, that'll be another option. Uh, so to see Flicky be able to go out there and do that, he's going to be integral against both the Cardinals and the Marlins. I'm missing both of those games. Just a warning. Set your expectations accordingly. Elsewhere, let's zip around the league with some scores. The Mariners improved to 2-0 by trouncing the Pirates 18-2. to uh, that offense is still good. Uh, I will say no team in the league scares me when I'm on the mound like they do. They just really have good approaches and they have a real good diversity of hitters of putting the ball in play, but also to go for power. I would say that they have to be really thrilled with their first two weeks of the season. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, a balanced lineup, right? Like guys who, like you're just saying, guys who can do everything and a lot of quality swings. So, yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't catch a lot of those games over there. Um, just I didn't get a lot of phone calls in with guys this week. Um, but it's not surprising. Not surprising. I'm a little surprised at the Pirates, honestly. You know, they had sort of felt improved last year. And so you would expect kind of a step further on that. So it'll be interesting. I haven't been able to see them play. But, yeah, a little bit kind of I imagine there's a little bit of disappointment over there right now. Um, you would have expected them to have a W in these first couple games. So. Well, we'll see what see what that is. You know, I'm going to try and catch that game next week. So we'll see. Yeah, I believe that's only four runs in two games, which is not going to get it done. Had a good one between the Cardinals and the Padres, the Cardinals winning five to four. What that tells me is that the Padres have someone who can throw the baseball. If you're able to yeah. hold that Cardinals team to five runs, that was a very competitive one. Definitely took notice uh, when it's our turn to play the Padres that they are a potential scare. Big win for the Cardinals, even if it's one run, because they're going to need every single win that they get. I like that. I like their pitching a lot. They have a lot of options uh, and just a good baseball team on, on both sides of the ball and fielding, really. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you took from that score um, that, oh, the Padres have pitching. What I said was, oh, this Padres scored four runs off that pitching, huh? <laughs> that was my first instinct was like, wow, that's uh, all right. Those guys probably got some bats over there, huh? Um, and you never know. I mean, this league is funny. So, you you know, it could be, uh, you know, a bunch of walks and, uh, you know, that kind of thing can happen too. But four runs isn't nothing. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Looking forward to seeing those guys. The White Sox edged the Tigers six to five. We had three one-run games this Three one-run games, and yeah. And we blew out the margin of victory don't know too much about that one. I would say the White Sox are now 2-0. and That's really big for them to get out to that fresh start to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And if they can jump up and maybe beat the Braves or a Marlins or a team or Mariners or even us, that gives us them a chance. Yeah, I won't, see it. I won't say who I heard it from, but I heard that the White Sox feel like they are a top four team. They, they feel like it. They know they've got guys who played last year. They had some guys who came over from other teams last year and they feel like they can be a top four team. 
And I would love to see that. That would, that yeah, would really like, excite right, me. It'd be fun to get go. some fresh blood. Yeah. And then obviously the marquee game right after ours, the A's five, the Marlins four, a huge one. I know that the A's did not throw the same pitcher. I knew that they relied on somebody else. That shows me that, you know, their second option is able to get through a game with four runs against that Marlins offense is really impressive. I am beginning to believe that the A's are just skilled at winning close games. Like they have a talent. There's, cert- there's certainly some of that. So I have a, a few numbers from that game uh, that are kind of important to keep in mind. The first one, the A's played with nine guys. That means they're good, right? They can show up with nine, four of the guys that were starting did not start the game against us. And that does not include the starting pitcher who was playing at first base. So they were missing some bats and they were, did not start the same pitcher and they still did. All right. So the game basically started out. The Marlins scored all of their runs very early. Pitcher looked a little uncomfortable. There were some walks balls put in play that weren't, that weren't played. There was a ground ball to short that is made, you know, by that shortstop 99 times out of hundred and skipped under his glove. Um, and so there were, you know, there's a couple of key errors, some walks that led to those runs, but they slammed the door and it immediately became uh, the A's kind of squeaking back and they walked it off in the ninth. 11 runners were left on base by the Marlins in the course of the game. Uh, the last third of the game, there wasn't anything put in play. So they had base runners, but didn't capitalize. Uh, I know that was a frustration coming from their dugout. Uh, yeah, a lot to take away from that. Just the A's are really going to be a tough beat if they can show up without starters and still beat a team that's as good as the Marlins, at least as far as we have sort of assumed the Marlins are that good. And I think you know, another month or so, I think we'll have a much better idea of how good that team really is. I know that there's probably some people on that team going, man, are we as good as we think we are? But I, I think they settled down and I'm sure they'll swing the bats. They got, they got too many guys over there who can hit. So looking at the standings after two weeks, the A's are 2-0, and the Cardinals are 2-0, and the Mariners are 2-0, and the White Sox are 2-0, and the Braves are 2-0. and So that's five teams that have yet to have a loss. Then you have one and one. We have the Cubs and the Marlins. What that tells me is we need to win baseball games. Um, yes. I'm not. I, yeah. Let's let's do it. Let's do it this way. 16 games this year, down from 20. What do you think will be the required record in order to get one of those two buys? And what do you think the required record will be in order to sneak into the playoffs of those fifth and sixth seeds? I don't think if you want to be in that top tier, you can lose more than three games. I don't see how that's going to be possible. And you know, if you think, okay, if we're looking at five teams that are legitimate good teams, and it could be six, then you definitely can't lose more than three games. And it also means that the playoffs are going to be extremely competitive when the time comes, that anybody's going to be able to win those games, which is exciting. <laughs> that's, that's fun. Let me ask you about the lower end. Do you think a... Do you think a nine and seven record is going to be enough to make the playoff? I do. I also think, I think it might actually dip down to eight and eight. So I think if you're 500, you're either going to be that last spot or just outside of it. I I think, I think it's how those good teams play against each other. I mean, do you have a team that gets lucky a handful of times and bumps that number up? 
or is it like everyone is beating up on everyone? If everyone's beating up on everyone, I think you're right. I think a 500 team squeaks in. But I think if a couple of teams, I don't know, you know, if the, if the Cardinals pitching is good enough that they just are winning all those close games, if the White Sox are good enough offense that they're winning all those close games, could you, you know, 500 record might not get you in because the good teams are all going to be that good. I, I think we need a couple more weeks to kind of see um, how that shakes out. Also knowing, you know, the depth over the course of the season of a roster seems to play or tends to play a really big role in how many wins there are, because if you're only showing up with nine guys, it's a lot harder to win who your pitcher is going to be. How can you rotate guys in that kind of thing? A's seem to survive that, but we're not talking about just the A's here. Uh, you know, how is that going to shake out is I think that's going to play a big role. So, you know, get a little bit deeper, get through those first couple of games when everybody shows up for every game and, you know, summer starts to kick in, kids are out of school, you know, people are gone. Once that kind of starts, I think the, the, the shape of the league will be a little more clear. So there's two things left to do. Number one is to check the forecast for Sunday. It actually looks pretty good. It might rain on Saturday. I'm always nervous about that. There's nothing, there's nothing more disappointing than having it circled on the calendar and getting it rained out. So we're looking pretty good there. Week three features these matchups. Royals, Padres, that will be for the first win for one of those teams. A's, Pirates, so the Pirates' struggles will likely continue. They'll be in an 0-3 hole and have to fight back from that. That's not great. Marlins-Cardinals is probably the marquee matchup of the weekend. Sullivan at four. Braves-Tigers, we have the power. And the Mariners-White Sox, 4 p.m. at Belknap. So it seems like those late games are going to be the ones to yeah, watch those are gonna be the going ones to forward. Watch. Any type of predictions? Any any anything you're looking forward to uh, in, in those matchups? I will really look forward to seeing what both of those two late games look like because we have some question marks about how the, who those teams really are. We have two teams against two teams we know are good against two teams that we're pretty sure might be good. And if any of those teams that we think might be good knock off the team that you know we would expect to win that game. I think then we game on, you know, I think that that opens up the league. If either one of those teams win on next week, uh, game on. All right. I'm going to let you go because you're at Comerica park for a tigers A's double header. You got any thoughts on the abomination that is this Detroit tigers team? Some of the worst offense I've ever seen in my life. I had high hopes. It's been nothing but a bummer and I'm starting to kind of hit the wall here because I'm not really sure the Calvary is coming. I, I see a lot of holes in this lineup, and it, it, as much as it surprises me, I think they could be on track to lose 92-plus games. Yeah. Uh, there was a great article in The Atlantic. Uh, it was sort of one of those, like, one number for each hitter uh, to try and explain what the hell is going on in Detroit. Um, I don't make any predictions on an offense until the end of May. That's just because, especially one that plays in the North, it's not warm enough. I was actually going back today and listening uh, on the way over here to uh, some old podcasts, sort of interviewing uh, Spencer Torkelson on uh, the Road to Detroit podcast. And he's talking about, you know, Arizona Fall League and how much fun it is to hit there because it's warm. You know, I think 
You're going to get Riley Green back at some point. Torkelson's going to heat up at some point. Young energy has a way of transforming a ball club like nothing else, right? Uh, you still have uh, the most fun guy in baseball in the DH spot. Though, honestly, uh, having the DH spot be a guy who he's got one home run on the year. That's rough. That's a big hole in just the way a lineup can be constructed. Um, I don't expect this to be a 500 club or anything. I mean, I think that was coming into the year. I think that was kind of like the upper limit of what we thought could be. Um, but the, this offense is going to be this bad for the rest of the year. Uh, it, it, this would be historically bad. Um, I mean, they're at the bottom of the league. They're 29th in just about everything right now. Um, it's funny to have them be playing the A's who are also, you know, like borderline historically bad with, uh, you know, 2,500 fans uh, a season and or a night in the stands uh, with their minor league club out, uh, out doing them on attendance right now. It's not generally a good look. Um, I don't, I don't think this offense is as bad as it looks. I think there are also some minor league options at second base, which I think is interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, I expect if they come out of May, I mean, when they started out May, like one and six, one and seven, um, if they come out of May and they haven't won another five games, seven games at this point, I see in a total redo of the roster. I don't think they're going to do have any problem just gutting this thing, um, which in the end might not be a bad thing. Toledo is good, right? Toledo's got all kinds of heat right now, uh, pitching and and on in the lineup. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, spending some time in the sun today and watching the Tigers play a really bad team that they ought to be able to beat. All right. Bet the under, I'm going to go take care of that crying baby. That's Jeremy Stokes. That's your international baseball league of West Michigan post game show. We'll be back next Monday or Tuesday doing it all again. Thanks a lot, dude. Hey, I appreciate you, Kyle. Have a good one, my guy. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.